From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Well, a happy Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for starting your week off with a little bit of EWTN Open Line Monday. Father John Tregilio is in the house, ready to answer your questions. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to talk to you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And uh, we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Michael. I'm Jack. I'm Jack Williams, even. Michael McCall producing the pro. It's Monday, Father. Don't laugh at me. <clears throat> Michael McCall produces the program. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Monday, Father John Tregilio. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. We just had family day here at the seminary this past weekend. I was wondering if autumn had settled in on the mount. I'm guessing it has. (laughs) Yeah, it got a little bit uh, cooler, but... I'm from Erie, so th- this is summer weather for us. <laughs> there you go. Got an email here from Gary, and he says, One of the conditions for gaining a plenary indulgence is that we must not be attached to any sins, including venial sins. How on earth do we do that? Work at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're never, you don't have any metaphysical certitude that you actually got plenary but you, you Eight, uh, again, we're having a little trouble with Father uh, Tregilio's end of the line there, but the number to be on the program again is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Do you have a, uh, there we go. All right, Can Father. You hear me now? Yeah, Can you now hear me I can now? Hear you. Yes. <laughs> and we're not doing a commercial for a cell phone carrier. <laughs> <laughs> On how much my last answer that came across? Uh, n- none of it. <laughs> none of it. Okay. Well, I'll do it real quick. Um, if you have any attachment, uh, but you don't have any mortal sin, it can default from a plenary indulgence to a partial indulgence. So it's worth the effort. Keep trying because we never know for absolute metaphysical certitude that it does uh, become a, a plenary indulgence. But partial is, is still something's better than nothing. Very good. Uh, George in Yonkers, New York, writes in, I go to Mass three times a week for years. I am always getting thoughts of my failures and sins and deep hurts of the past. I wonder, is it the Holy Spirit helping me to remember the past failures so I can make a good confession? 
or is it a demon reminding me of how bad I was to bother me and torture me mentally? Well, that's a good question, and um, we certainly don't want people to become scrupulous where they're over-examining and obsessing over their past sins if they've already been confessed, uh, again, in good faith. That's why we say, for these sins and all my sins, so that anything you genuinely forgot or were confused about uh, is forgiven. Uh, it's only those things that I intentionally withhold. It was gravely wrong. I did it anyway, and I, for whatever reason, uh, chose not to confess it. Uh, those are things I do need to confess. But to go over your sins over and over and over again uh, is not helpful. It is helpful to uh, engender a sense of remorse for past mistakes I've made, and that's why we do some penance. But always you want to speak uh, regularly to your confessor uh, or your spiritual director to make sure that you avoid those uh, far extremes. Again, 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We go from George and Yonkers to Georgie, who wants to know how soon after a baby is born should it be baptized. And here you go, Father. Also, what is a nice gift for a newborn <laughs> Catholic baby? Oh, uh, well... Uh... Apologetics First, uh, and, gift uh, I, and gift uh, suggestions from Father yes. John Trujillo. Um uh, go to our catalog <laughs> uh, webpage and some very nice gifts there. Um, honestly, uh, the old code, 1917 Code of Canon Law, uh, made it clear that it should be as soon as possible, which was interpreted a, a few weeks, a month at the most. Uh, with the 1983 code, uh, it says within a reasonable time. You don't want to wait too long, but obviously um, parents have um, a legitimate concern that the baby isn't exposed to too many uh, dangers, biological, uh, viral, or otherwise. So uh, I wouldn't say that you have to get the baby baptized within the first couple of days of birth. But the same token, you don't want the baby to be deprived of that sanctifying grace. So to wait more than a, than a month or two, I, I think, is, is not advisable. Now, obviously, people move around because they're in the military or they have uh, particular jobs that move them around. And I've baptized babies who, you know, they've been a year old or a year and a half, two years. But please, uh, do within a reasonable amount of time. A month or two, I think, is a good gauge. And uh, what kind of gift to give? <laughs> um, they, uh, there's a wonderful, uh, I think there's a, uh, a nice miraculous medal that you can pin to the baby, um, to the baby's clothes, that is. You don't want to pin it directly to the, to the baby. But uh, a nice little miraculous medal that you can put on their uh, on their clothing, which, which would be nice. As long as it's not something that they would be able to chew off and swallow, then it, it wouldn't be good. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Um, some open phone lines, and we're just getting started, so plenty of time for your calls. Sandy says she'd like to know if God hears and answers prayers if you are in a state of mortal sin. Well, certainly God hears those prayers. Um, we don't get any direct spiritual benefit. When we're, when we're in mortal sin, uh, we've cut ourselves off from uh, God. Uh, we've sort of like pulled the plug out on our life support. And he wants to give us the grace as soon as possible 
but he doesn't force himself because he respects our free will. So I, even when I'm saying, um, God will be, and certainly help her, that yeah, we're having a, that trouble again with the audio. Hopefully we can get that rectified here pretty quickly. But, Sandy, I think you got the gist of that. Um, I think Father would agree with me that the one prayer that our Lord certainly would hear and answer would be an act of contrition if you were in a state of mortal sin. Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And uh, you need God's grace to be repentant. That's right. 833-288-EWTN. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. And again, if you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-271. 2985, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line if you give us a call at 1 205 271 2985. Paula would like to know how can we combat human constructed truths and relativism? Well, um, <laughs> the best thing is to rely on divinely revealed truths because that directly comes from God like uh, the revelation of the Trinity or the incarnation Jesus is one divine person and two natures human and divine but the uh, other truths as St. Thomas Aquinas tells us empirical scientific truth is still true water is H2O that's not going to change philosophical truth uh, is going to remain the same something cannot be and not be at the same time either it's hot or cold true or false cannot be EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. And you can always send us an email. We've answered a couple of of them already today. That email address is is openline at EWTN.com. That's openline at EWTN.com. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. That's right, 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Two open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. Got a beautiful new item from EWTN's religious catalog, a portrait of Christ, and it's a gallery-wrapped canvas print. It's brand new uh, from a line made especially for EWTN. 
It's a canvas print of the portrait of Christ, and it's an original work by Richard L. George, and it's gallery-wrapped, as I mentioned, which means that the image continues around each side of a thick canvas so there's no border. The artist captures the compassionate and loving gaze of our Lord in this portrait. It's fade-resistant and hand-stretched and treated with a satin finish coating for protection. It's 8 by 10 and comes with a picture hanger on the back. It's available now at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com, where they're offering free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. That's standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. Use the code FREE at checkout. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. First up today is Jennifer, a first-time caller in the great state of West Virginia. Jennifer, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hi there. I was wondering how the priest decides which preface option to use. Okay, that's a good question. Um, Some prefaces... We have no option. Uh, for instance, the preface for Eucharistic Prayer 4 must always be used if you're going to use Eucharistic Prayer 4. Um, the preface for Eucharistic Prayer uh, 1, 2, and 3, uh, you can use the uh, seasonal one. Uh, there's uh, ordinary time. Uh, you can always, um, the priest can use the one for the Holy Trinity because uh, if your start, eyesight starting to go, if you old priest friends of mine, you got to the point where because of macular degeneration, like um, Father Bob Levis of Happy Memory, uh, he started to memorize the the preface for the Holy Trinity because that was the one that was used a lot in extraordinary form. And that way he didn't have to worry about not being able to um, be able to say Mass. So there's particular ones like for feast days, like Immaculate Conception, uh, Marian Feast, um, Feast of the Obviously, for um, Easter Sunday, for Christmas, there are particular prefaces that must be used, and there are some that are encouraged or should be used, and then the other ones are are optional. Does that help, Jennifer? Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for the phone call. We appreciate it today. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. You know, we had a question earlier about when babies should be baptized. And let me take you back a couple of uh, steps in that whole thought process. Henry would like to know, why do we get baptized? (laughs) Well, we get baptized, uh, first of all, because the baby has the original sin washed away and has an infusion of sanctifying grace, which makes us a child of God, so we are literally adopted the day of our baptism. And I know some people say, well, the baby doesn't know what's going on. Why not wait? Well, if you extended that same logic out, you would say, well, how about let the baby decide what he or she's name's going to be, because they, that's, you know, they didn't ask their opinion on that, or ask about their citizenship. Obviously, we want them to have a name. We want them to have an identity, a nationality. And later on, if they want to repudiate that, they certainly can. But uh, we want babies to be baptized because we want them to participate in the life of grace. And even though they may not be totally conscious of what's happening, neither are they conscious the fact that, you know, if they're born here in the United States, they're American citizen. They may not be aware of it, but they certainly enjoy the benefits and privileges uh, of that 
a membership. And so they become a member of, of Christ's body, the church. They become a member of God's family. And uh, we want them to enjoy that. Plus, the remission of original sin so that now they can live a sanctified life, not just a virtuous one, but a sanctified life. 833-288-EWTN. couple of open phone lines for you. Just getting started on an open line Monday with Father John Tregilio, 833-288-3986 is our toll-free number. Joe is in El Paso in the Republic of Texas um, calling us today. Joe, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Hi, Joe, go ahead. Hi, uh, Pope John Paul called this the culture of death. Hospitals and businesses are businesses, and I believe doctors have for the most part become businessmen, serving insurance companies and not patients. Um, the elderly are allowed to die even when life-sustaining efforts are possible without respect for their wishes. What does the Church say about doctors who use the phrase, no quality of life, instead of recognizing that, as Father Tom O'Mahony would say, life itself has quality. Well, certainly you've touched on a good point that um, we want all doctors and nurses and anybody in the medical field uh, to do whatever they can to preserve life. But we make a distinction, and we've always made this distinction throughout the history of the Church, that ordinary means must always be used. And Pope John Paul the Great made that very clear, um, especially in his own life, that uh, nutrition, giving them food, hydration, giving them uh, water, and also giving them some protection, clothing, uh, whatever to keep them from the elements. Uh, that's the bare minimum, and we must always give ordinary means, and extraordinary means are optional. Now, extraordinary means uh, can change because what is experimental or unusual today can become normal in the future. For instance, like um, antibiotics, uh, blood transfusions, when these things first came about, they were experimental, there was not, they weren't proven, so nobody was under a moral obligation to accept them or to do them, but once they became normal and sort of like the pr common procedure, then obviously uh, people are supposed to, are to administer that type of what we call ordinary means. Extraordinary means, which is either extremely expensive, extremely uh, new or experimental, or very painful, uh, a person, for instance, like if they have cancer or they're on uh, dialysis, uh, they can forego things that are would be defined morally, uh, from moral theology standpoint, extraordinary. That doesn't mean they can't use them, but there's not a moral obligation. So we don't save life at any, uh, for whatever reason possible, if particularly the person's suffering a lot. But at the same token, we don't want to commit what we call uh, passive euthanasia, where we just allow the person to die. That That is as immoral as active uh, euthanasia, where you directly cause the death. If you allow death and there's a means that you could preserve life, the, the term quality of life is a little subjective, but it's you can use it properly if you use that distinction that Pope John Paul made between ordinary and extraordinary. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986.
You're going to love this phone call, Father John. Destiny is in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, listening on Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting. Destiny, welcome to the program. Thank you. Go right ahead. Uh, Basically, uh, my husband and I just had our children baptized yesterday. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, And I have the Catechism of the Catholic Church for showing my husband where it was in the catechism, had the scripture, showed him that. Just trying to get him to, you know, understand why us as Catholics baptize our children before they're old enough to make their own choices. Okay, so I presume your your husband is not Catholic? No, he is not, but he does come to Mass with me, uh, with, uh, me and the kids uh, uh, pretty much every Sunday. Okay. And, well... Uh, yeah, I, I can understand, you know, the question is legitimate, but like I answered uh, previously, you know, we don't ask the baby, what name do you want to be called? <laughs> you you picked you pick the name for your child, um, and then, like I said, later on when they're an adult, they can have it legally changed, but as they're growing up, they, they need a name, uh, they need an, a national identity, you know, what what country are they a citizen of, they can renounce that too later on. But we wouldn't deny the, either of those to infants. In the same token, we want to deny the infants their identity, their connection uh, with the body, mystical body of Christ, the church. We don't want to deny them their spiritual adoption because baptism not only washes away original sin, but makes us uh, an adopted child of God. So that's why we baptize babies, is so that they can receive the full benefit uh, in the spiritual life. And even though they don't realize it, they don't realize a lot of things that are going on and yet, you're loving them, you're protecting them, you're feeding them, you're nourishing them physically, but now also spiritually. How's that, Destiny? Oh, a lot better. I'm just trying to, it's like, I'm a convert to the faith coming up on 20 years uh, with the church. So. Awesome. That yeah, because is... I often say to my cousins that I had who were saying, well, we're going to let them decide later on what religion I said, well, then let him decide his name. Just call him Son or Junior. <laughs> it, it makes no sense to postpone c- calling them, uh, giving them a name, which, you know, the, the, that's part of who they are. Sharing the faith is, is even more important. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833 288 3986. If you're outside of the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1 205 271 2985, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line. Mary is in Cincinnati, Ohio today, listening on St. Gabriel Radio. Mary, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Hey there, Father John. Um, I have a son who's been living with his girlfriend for a couple of years. They've just had an out-of-wedlock baby. My son was raised traditional Catholic. He's had all the sacraments. The girlfriend, I don't really know. But now I've got a two-month-old granddaughter that I'm concerned about her baptism. So he's refusing. My son's refusing to do that. The mother doesn't want to do that. What's my obligation towards the baby as the grandmother? 
Okay, Mary, sit tight. Don't go anywhere. That is next up on the docket, and we'll still have plenty of time for your phone calls as well. Give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986 with your questions today for our Open Line Monday host, Father John Tregilio. You can also send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. That's openline at EWTN.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Join Mary in Cincinnati here on Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We're talking to Mary in Cincinnati, Ohio, whose uh, adult son, Cradle Catholic, had all of the sacraments, and he and his girlfriend have just had a little baby daughter out of re- out of wedlock. And Father John, Mary is wondering what her responsibility with regard to the baptism of this little one is as a grandmother. Yes, um, uh, the Code of Canon Law from 1983 makes it clear that um, you must need the consent at least one of the parents in order to baptize licitly. Now, validly, you know, as long as uh, anyone, you know, pours water over their head or immerses them and uses the Trinitarian formula, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, um, that would be a valid baptism. But for it to be licit or legal in the eyes of the church, you need the consent of at least one of the parents. And the code also makes it clear that there must be a well-founded hope that the child be brought up in the Catholic faith. Now, in danger of death, anyone should and 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 it's very highly encouraged that they would baptize if in danger of death but outside of that if the child's not going to be raised in the in the faith what's happening is if you baptize them catholic and they don't realize that they're baptized uh they're going to be denied the sacraments like holy communion and confirmation and matrimony and so forth so we really 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 want optimally that at least one of the parents says, okay, I consented to the baptism. Now, grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle or sibling could ensure or give the priest the confident assurance that they will help raise the child in the Catholic faith. But if no one's going to ensure that, then it's good to postpone. We don't deny the sacrament, but we can postpone until mom and dad get a little bit, or at least mom or dad get back on, on track. And so I would say first and foremost, Keep praying, um, and if, God forbid, something would happen where the child's sick, then by all means, if it's a danger of death, uh, have someone baptize them immediately. But in the meantime, if they're healthy and, and everything else is okay, just keep praying that you know your son comes to uh, reawaken his faith. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Ernest in the great state of Colorado, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Ernest, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Okay, thank you for taking my call. My question is, where does free will end? 
Okay, well, uh, <laughs> your free will continues um, up until the point of death insofar as we say once you, at the moment of your death, uh, your will is frozen at wherever, whatever point it's at, uh, because um, then you're you're in a new existence. So up until the time of death, you can r- repent of your former evil, or up until the point of death, you can repudiate. So someone as good and holy as Mother Teresa, th- um, theoretically, we know that that didn't take place because she was canonized, but theoretically, she could have gone bad even at the last moment probability is that she she would not and we know for certain that she didn't but the you can't rest on your laurels as they say and so your free will is always uh, in operation up until the time of death and then uh, at that point especially when you're in heaven or god forbid you're in hell uh, your will is sort of frozen for the rest of eternity thanks Ernest we appreciate the call today 833 833- 288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. William would like to know if, if the sacrifice of Christ that we see during the Mass is ongoing or did it happen once? Well, what's happening at the Mass, it's a reenactment of Calvary, it's not a duplication. Um, we say it's the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary reenacted on the altar. So it's the same sacrifice, just in an unbloody fashion, so that you do not see actual blood on the altar, thank goodness. You do not see or taste uh, flesh. But the substances of Jesus' body and blood are, are there. It's just the appearance of, of bread and wine. And we're not duplicating or replicating. And it's more than... You know, in, in the Jewish tradition, when they have the uh, Seder meal as a, a memorial of the Passover, um, this is even more than that. This is the actual Last Supper, and it's Good Friday, and it's Easter Sunday, all made present, even though it's in our chronological past, it's made present for us uh, at every Mass. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We've still got time for your calls at 833-288-3986. And I knew the call screening was going too smoothly, and I've just been been brought to my attention that our intern extraordinaire, India, is actually screening our phone calls today under the close tutelage of Mr. Matt Kubensky, but... Uh, say, give us a call at 833-288-3986 and say hello to our intern, India. That's what Pat did. He's in Oakland, Texas, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Pat, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Well, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I just wondered, a few minutes ago, Father John answered a question. Someone asked why we baptize babies. And I was taught that we baptize babies because it says, in the Bible, that you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again of water. And I just wonder, he, Father John said something I'd never heard before. So are they both right, or am I wrong? Oh, no, you're, 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 you're right. I mean, I, what I said was the same thing, just uh, probably in a clumsy way. But yes, um, uh, we need baptism, um, either by water or by desire or uh, through martyrdom. Baptism is necessary for salvation, but uh, I was using the argument, too, that why we baptize infants, 
because we just don't want to only limit it to uh, the idea that, well, we want them to get to heaven. Yes, absolutely, positively, we want them to go to heaven. But sometimes people think, well, you can postpone that. And it's not just in danger of death that we baptize uh, infants, but we want them to share in the fullness of God's sacramental grace. But yes, uh, baptism is, is uh, something that's required uh, for salvation. It's just that there are three types, water, desire, and, and by blood. How's that answer, Pat? Very good. Thank you so much. Thank you for that question. Um, Father, we have a question uh, from Carlton who writes in, if the partial judgment is private and the final judgment is public, why are we now canonizing saints publicly and declaring their salvation? Well, it's meant to be of encouragement to us, and certainly anyone who's a canonized saint, uh, the Church says that we have the, the, the privilege of asking for their uh, direct intercession, and uh, because they're in heaven, uh, you know they're in a particular place of of uh, of honor and privilege. But they're remember they are interceding on our behalf to the one mediator, Jesus Christ. Um, so canonize saints. Uh, it's, that's why the Pope doesn't canonize every single possible person, because as we celebrate All Saints Day, it's not just canonized saints who are in heaven; it's anyone who's in heaven is a saint. It's just that we uh, particularly cite or um, focus on one particular individual, and certainly, you know, the miracles that were performed by God through their intercession after their death, uh, their hopefully uh, sanctified life and teachings, and and that while they were alive, they give us like role models. All right, these are people that we can emulate in the sense that they followed Jesus as best they could, and we want to follow in their footsteps. Thank you for that answer, Father. I have another question that uh, came in from Karen, who writes, Is it appropriate for Catholics to celebrate Halloween, and is there a Christian origin of the holiday? Well, the actual uh, word Halloween uh, is an English derivation from All Hallows' Eve, Eve meaning the day before. And Saints' Day, we call All Saints' Day, uh, it was originally called All Hallows' Day, because someone who's hallow, uh, like we say, hallowed be thy name, uh, was the equivalent of uh, of a saint, a saintly person, someone who's blessed. So All Hallows' Eve was the day before All Saints' Day, and it was more of a, a pagan custom where people dressed up as go- uh, goblins and ghouls and whatnot because they thought that the, the evil demons ran amok on the earth the day before All Saints' Day. But in the Christian dispensation, especially um, you know, in Catholic uh, Christianity, but also in Protestant and Eastern Orthodoxy, you know, there was another custom that was even more uh, healthy, that where the boys and girls uh, dressed as their favorite saints on All Saints Day. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not allowed to celebrate Halloween as a secular holiday, but it doesn't have to be this bizarre, diabolical thing where we glorify the devil and, and witches and, and, and warlocks and whatnot. Uh, I went trick-or-treating when I was a kid. I dressed up as Superman. <laughs> My brother was Batman. The other one was Spider-Man and The Flash. And we went around and we got our uh, treats <laughs> from the neighborhood. And, you know, it didn't become sort of like this occult thing. That, And what amazes me is that they say more adults celebrate Halloween than children. And the adults get into this bizarre stuff, which, you know, is borderline occult. So um, the celebration of Halloween as a holiday uh, it's not the problem, it's how you do it 
And if you focus on the uh, the evil aspect, yes, I, I discourage that completely. All right, and we have another question that's come in from James, who writes, Is grace different in the New Testament than it was in the Old Testament? Well, uh, that's a good question. Um, sanctifying grace only came about after the fall of Adam and Eve, once Jesus uh, died for our sins on, on, uh, on Good Friday. So uh, we were nobody was in a particular position to receive grace because you need sanctifying grace in order for you to be able to receive actual grace. So all the good people of the Old Testament, from Adam and Eve all the way to uh, Ad, or, um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, all the way to good St. Joseph, no one was able to receive sanctifying grace until Jesus brought it literally from heaven uh, to us, and that's what we receive in baptism. So uh, all the good people of the Old Testament were released and uh, brought to, to heaven by Christ uh, during the what we call the sacred uh, triduum. And then now in the Christian dispensation, you and I, after we receive baptism and have sanctifying grace, we can get an increase of sanctifying grace through the other sacraments, but we can also receive actual grace that helps us do uh, virtuous and holy works. All right, we have a caller coming in now, uh, Pat, who's calling from Vero Beach, Florida, and listening on Divine Mercy Radio. Pat, you're on the air with Father John. Hello? Hello, Pat, are you there? Yes. Go ahead with your question for Father John. Yeah, uh, my question uh, is this. Um, a friend of mine gave me a, uh, a really nice gift. It's um, uh, the Ten Commandments in, a, in like a tablet form. In And this person... Um, uh, okay, it looks like we uh, lost Pat's call there, Father, but uh, basically he was saying he, he received a nice gift of the Ten Commandments uh, from a friend, but they're not the Catholic Ten Commandments. Uh, would he be displaying a graven image if he held onto that and displayed it in his home? Oh, no, um, because there's they, they are still the Ten Commandments. It's just the numbering system that's that's different. The Catholic and the Lutheran, all right? Catholic and Lutheran churches... Uh, have the same numbering system, but and the the even uh, are the, uh, the um, like the Swiss Reformed and other Protestant denominations have a different numbering system. So it's not that they're different commandments. It's where does one start and where does number two begin? And the, the difficulty was that in the Bible itself they're not numbered. It doesn't say number one, two, three, four, five. It just says ten commandments. And uh, St. Augustine was one who ascribed a certain number to each one of those. So, for instance, uh, you know, like the first commandment, I am the Lord thy God, and I shall not have strange gods before me. In the Protestant tradition, the second one is no graven images. In the Catholic and Lutheran tradition, we consider a continuation, a part of number one. So you throw yourself off by one number, but then at the end, uh, they catch up by saying, uh, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife or goods, and uh, we separate those. So they're the same Ten Commandments. You would not be committing any sin in displaying them, but you people, okay, uh, the numbering itself 
uh, is the Swiss Reformed. It's not the Catholic or Lutheran uh, numbering. All right. Uh, Father, we have a, an email in from Bill who writes, When I go to confession, and for me, I need to go weekly, my priest will give me penance of saying the Hail Mary and Our Father. I'm doing my best to pray the Holy Rosary every day and the Divine Mercy at 3 p.m. every day. I have mm -hmm. grown to love prayer and talk with our Heavenly Father, but my feeling is that penance should be painful as in a discipline. I'm just confused as why he assigns <laughs> prayer as penance instead of something uh, more painful. Can you uh, help uh, Bill with this question, Father? Okay. Um, although we, we say for your penance, uh, it's not meant to be uh, penal in the sense that you're, you're, you're being punished. Uh, the temporal punishment due to sin, uh, that's either purgatory or here on earth. But the penance that we say, the prayers, all right, uh, that's a symbolic gesture on our part that the priest asks us to do and that we unite ourselves with uh, the salvific work of Christ on the cross as well as what his Blessed Mother suffered and all the other saints uh, endured when they united their sufferings with that of Jesus. So it, it's not meant to be like... Um, you know, uh, you committed a crime, and the, is the punishment befitting the crime? Um, all the even the the least uh, venial sin warrants um, a huge amount of punishment, and uh, except for the fact that God, in His mercy, doesn't give us that. So the prayers that we say are not incommensurate with particular punishment, but it's meant to be um, medicinal, okay, not penal. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. Jim is in the great state of Colorado listening on the Catholic Radio Network. Jim, you're on with Father John. Hi, Jim. Are you there? Uh, yes. Yeah, go right ahead. Hi. Uh, question. Did the Catholic Church as a whole ever teach that you could only get to heaven by being a Catholic. That you know, it was, was that ever part of church dogma? And I, and I don't mean that's not to say that some individual priest somewhere might, you might have gone off on his own and, and made some pronouncement to somebody somewhere, but but just doctrinally or dogmatically, did did the church as a whole ever teach that? Okay, that, that's, a, that's a very good question, um, and I'm glad you made that distinction because there was a priest, Father Feeney, who got on the radio and said that one had to be a Catholic in order to get to heaven, and that was not what the Church taught. But the Church does teach uh, extra ecclesia nulla solis, that outside the Church there is no salvation. But we explain it in this way, that people are saved by the Church, the Catholic Church, and saved by Christ uh, as... Uh, even if in good faith they don't realize that uh, it's the Church and Christ who is saving them. It's only people who know that Jesus is necessary, that they know the Church he established is necessary, and they deliberately, willingly, uh, consciously uh, reject that. Um, so people through no fault of their own, and they make that distinction uh, that's been Catholic teaching for millennia, and certainly uh, a good document to read is Dominus Jesus. Uh, that spells that out even more so, uh, that people can, what we would say through invincible ignorance, not realize 
because they have not rejected or consciously turned their back on Christ and his church can still be saved by Christ and that church. So as long as you're not saying to yourself, I reject this, I know it to be true, but I say no, I don't care, uh, then you're in a very bad predicament. But we have people who don't realize that they need Christ in the church, and if it's not their fault and they're living a good, uh, virtuous life, we don't believe that God's going to punish them because, as St. Augustine says, everyone's given sufficient grace. It's efficacious, though, only to those who cooperate with it. And there is the universal salvific will of God. That's not to say that, that everyone automatically de facto goes to heaven. It means that everyone has the potential, the possibility of heaven, um, and they're not going to be punished because they never heard the, the gospel or they never uh, had the catechism uh, read to them. Thanks, Jim. We appreciate the call today. Be sure to check out Mother Angelica Live Classics tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This week, Mother discusses hell, purgatory, and the first beatitude to be poor in spirit. That's Mother Angelica Live Classics tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Um, Susan would like to know uh, if what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and is it the same thing you've been talking about? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something different than the sacrament of baptism. The sacrament of baptism, which we need to, uh, as we said, for salvation, um, baptism by water, as I mentioned, either one's poured on the, the water's poured on the head or someone is immersed and the person baptizing says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the sacrament of baptism. It invokes the Holy Trinity. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate thing. It's not a sacrament. Uh, many uh, charismatic uh, Catholics, charismatic uh, Protestants uh, have this um, practice called the, the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's certainly uh, not um, frowned upon. It's encouraged for those people who are of that spirituality. But it's not, it's not necessary uh, as the sacrament is. Uh, it's something that's particular to that uh, type of spirituality. And you're just basically asking the Holy Spirit to fill your heart, which we believe happens at baptism and confirmation. But in a, uh, in a particular way, this, it becomes, um, and I don't want to say more personal because uh, it's not that the other two are not, but it's a little bit more um, of a part of your spirituality, okay? So being baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, is a, a good thing but it's not something that's necessary, as would be the sacrament of baptism. Uh, next up is Patrick in Columbus, Ohio, listening on iHeartRadio. Patrick, thanks for holding. You're on with Father John Trujillo. Uh, hello, Father John. Um, my quick question for you is, um, is a person alive allowed to offer up their own personal sufferings and pain to reduce the sufferings and perhaps bring comfort to another person who is still alive. Oh, I, I believe that because um, certainly Saint uh, Monica, you know, she endured a lot of penance and suffering, uh, and, uh, and we believe that that was efficacious in the conversion of her son Saint Augustine, as well as her husband. Um, I know I, I'm convinced the suffering my my little brother Michael had he had muscular dystrophy. For most of his short life, that he offered that up, um, I, I wouldn't be a priest today. I don't think uh, if it wasn't for that. So yes, I believe that you can, as a living person, offer up your suffering 
and you can ask that the uh, grace and benefit be directed to someone else. And I think that a lot of people that <laughs> that gets them back on the on the straight and narrow the, the that wonderful heroic sacrifice that people make. And Father, finally, John says, I find it interesting that Catholics frequently accuse we Protestants of reading and interpreting the Bible in a wooden-slash-literal sense, yet the Catholic Church interprets John chapter 6, verses 52 to 59, literally, when in John 6, 63, Jesus plainly states that he was not speaking of literal flesh and blood, but stating a spiritual truth. Given all of that, how is the Catholic Church not guilty of the same thing which it accuses Protestants? Was Jesus saying he was a literal door in John ten nine? Well, you know, I think he's taken the, the, the text out of context. Uh, as Father Levis used to say, you take the text out of context, you've got a pretext. Uh, that's not exactly what Jesus said uh, in chapter 6, uh, verse 53. Um, when you read the actual text, uh, from the, the Greek uh, that was written originally by uh, St. John, uh, we see that he says on more than one occasion, on several occasions in John, in John chapter 6, you must eat my flesh, you must drink my blood. In fact, he even cranks it up and says not just uh, eat my flesh, you must devour. Okay, He uses a Greek word that's even more emphatic. And at no point did anyone run around thinking that uh, Jesus was literally a branch Okay, or a vine and we're branches. It was an, a, an analogy, a metaphor. But early Christianity, St. Paul himself, you know, tells us that the early Christians got together and they celebrated the breaking of the bread. It was at the breaking of the bread that the disciples on Emmaus recognized Jesus. So if this was just something merely symbolic, why would they be so um, meticulous in following it precisely, using the exact words of Jesus at the Last Supper and that we see saints uh, referring to that all the way back to the, the apostolic times. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer, Michael McCall, our celebrity call screener, Intern India, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to Open Line Monday. Back at it with Father Wade live in studio tomorrow on EWTN's Open Line Tuesday, talking faith, family, and fellowship. Until we get together then, God bless.